This is Molly Ramos, and you're listening to Con Confianza. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Steve Tamayo, and I am so excited about our topic today. We're going to be exploring one of these beloved paradigms, the child paradigm. We're going to be looking at what does it mean that we are a child of God? What difference does that make? Where do we see that in the Bible? Because God has called us his own sons and daughters. Our guest today is someone who's done some thinking about this topic. She is the Regional Community College Coordinator in the greater Los Angeles region. She's been with InterVarsity for 16 years and is an expert in community college ministry. She's literally written the article on avoiding burnout as a community college minister. Molly Ramos, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Steve. It's so good to be with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your work, your family. Yeah, yeah. So like you said, I worked with InterVarsity for 16 years on staff, and mostly I worked at community colleges. I worked at East Los Angeles College for almost like over 10 years, actually. Um, So working predominantly with Latino students there, um, more inner city background, Uh, worked at Cal State LA before that for a few years with black students. So um, a lot of time of my time on staff has been with uh, Latino students, urban students, and that's really my passion. And, um, and then more recently have moved to be a community college coordinator for a region and trying to take all the things that I've learned um, through my years on staff at community college, and then give that away to the rest of the staff in our region as we're uh, seeking to reach 70 campuses together. So, so, InterVarsity is really leaning into this community college ministry. I mean, community college ministry is something that that you were doing before it was cool. I mean, I remember I, I came, I was coming out to LA for a conference, and this is actually the first time I met you. I was coming out to LA for a conference, and I sent you and Abner an email, or maybe actually looked you up in a staff directory and gave you a phone call and just said, "Hey, it's a lot cheaper if I come out a day earlier. I don't know you, but could I crash with you?" And, and I don't know if you would even remember this. This was 10 years ago or something. And we went out to sushi and I just started asking you questions about community college ministry, what that looks like. Cause I had never heard of that before. It really was something that we were doing long before there was any kind of planting manual, community college manual, anything like that. And so we learned a lot through trial and error. And um, a lot of what God has done in me was through those seasons of having to go deeper with him in the midst of the ups and downs and experiencing greater breakthrough personally and then on campus. And so I think that's what a joy now is there's all these staff going to community colleges is like, how do I share what God has given to me, both in terms of um, strategic help, but also even sometimes more importantly, it's like the deeper life of God that's been formed in me through this time on community colleges. And, uh, and then I'm just a big champion of community colleges too. So that's fun. Yeah, I mean, that's a big theme for this Con Confianza podcast is we're asking this question of what are we going to do with what God has entrusted to us? So God has entrusted with you this skill, this experience, this this wisdom in community college ministry, this wisdom in ministry to Latino students. And some people might, you know, hear about your experience and see your name and assume a particular ethnic background for you. 
Yeah, I mean, totally. People get confused. It's like Molly Ramos. It doesn't go together, right? And so, but I'm married to Abner Ramos. So he works on staff for the university. He's Latino. Um, originally from Honduras, came when he was five um, to Southern California. So yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a blend. Like in, in marriage, I've learned a lot, you know, a lot of very cross-cultural marriage and um, raising Latino kids, biracial white and Latino kids. So we have very different styles, my husband and I, in terms of parenting that we've learned. And and then also all my time in ministry has been really with Latino uh, student. Yeah, I've been immersed in that world. So I think my name kind of represents a little bit of how those things come together, that I'm fully myself from Seattle, white girl, but also somebody that cares deeply for the Latino community and has, has invested a lot of my life and family in that. So. And you're a very special part of the Lafe community. Uh, we're so grateful that you have chosen to be a, a part of our community. You know, there are some people who are forced to go do La Fe stuff because they have a Latino ethnic heritage and their supervisors just push them into it. Uh, you've chosen to do that. And I mean, we're really grateful for that. You know, if you're listening to this podcast and you are not Latino, but you're interested in this community and you're wondering, can I, as someone who's black, or can I, as someone who's Asian, or can I, as someone who's white, as can I, as someone who's native, can I actually have an impact in the lives of Latino students and faculty? You know, the answer is yes, and the proof is Molly, right? Molly is having this huge impact, decades-long impact on Latino students, and um, you possibly could too. I- I'm not going to say you could be another Molly. You'll be someone different from Molly, but but there's this special thing that Molly brings. Now, you mentioned that you have two kids. How, how old are your kids? Yeah, I have a son named Santiago, and he's seven. And I have a daughter named Mina, who's four. So okay. Seven-year-old and a four-year-old. So that's like uh, wrestling uh, and uh, reading, coloring. What is, what's a four-year-old, four-year-old girl? I don't have one of those. What's a four-year-old girl do? She's really into dancing. She's into dancing and singing and Frozen too. Oh yeah. Like on repeat. Um, so, and being a princess. So um, she's into all those things and she is into reading and puzzles. And, and then my son, yeah, he's, he's into Legos and inventing and definitely reading chapter books now. And um, wow. yeah. And then they like to wrestle together. So that's cool. Sometimes it ends up getting a little dicey, but uh, I like their connection and I want them to be able to, to have fun together. So. so our topic for today is, is this theme of being a child of God. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you kind of what that means and where we see that in the Bible. But I'm curious, just you know, this little thread to pull on this little thread. Now that you're a parent, so you've been a parent for seven years, eight years now, do you see God a little bit differently? As a parent, has that shaped your view of who God is? Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. I mean, there's a way that as I think about myself towards my kids, it's like, oh, I just long for them to know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Or I long for them to know that they have worth. And even when they get in trouble, it's like, oh, mommy will always love you no matter what. You know, even when I'm frustrated, mommy always loves you. And so sometimes when I'm feeling shame or disconnection from God. I just feel like that. It's like, Oh, God holds me and says, you know, I will always love you. And just, I think about my own heart towards my kids and then multiply that out towards what God feels about me. 
So as I've been sitting in that, I feel like I'm more able to take in God's unconditional love for me and just, just like, oh, no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter what I've done, God just enjoys me. And even the way that I just enjoy my kids, I love and enjoy who they are uniquely and just how the Lord delights in me. And I can receive that and take that in more. It's awesome to think that someday your kids may discover this on the internet and they may hear their mom talking about them with so much joy, with so much pride, with so much love. You know, I, I hope they, well, I know they're not going to need a podcast to know that that's how you feel about them. But, you know, I wonder sometimes if, if God has put this stuff out into the universe for us so that we might know that he loves us and, and we just have missed it, have been blind to it. I mean, when we talk about this idea that we're a child of God, you know, what does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it really has to do with an identity and kind of where are we rooted, you know, and so what identity are we rooted in? And even as, I mean, I was thinking about just the the biblical text for that and understanding that. And I think about the fact that God calls himself a father um, and sets up that intimate relationship um, from the beginning. And then the story of the prodigal son, I think we're all familiar with that, but that just always touches my heart that Jesus is asked, like, why is he hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And then he tells a story and how he's like that father that's just longing for relationship with his kids and longing for them to come back to him so he can embrace them and receive them and and love them and celebrate them. And so just the fact that that's who God is and that's how God presents himself, which not all religions have that picture of God. A lot of religions, it's a lot of the holiness of God, but not that intimacy of God. And so I just think there's something profound about that um, as well. This is how God has chosen to identify. He could have identified any number of ways. And he does, actually. There are a whole, he identifies himself as a king in some places, as the Lord in other places. But he also identifies himself as a father or, or identifies um, himself as like a, like a mother hen longing to kind of pull her, her chicks underneath her wings. Uh, right? That's this Jesus speaking that as he prays over Jerusalem and, and just, just wishing that he could shelter them like a, like a mother uh, shelters her little chickens. And, you know, God's decision to identify as a, a parent, it challenges our notions of parenthood a little bit. I think, you know, and I've talked about this elsewhere, that there are times where I think about my own kids and I'm like, oh man, I hope they don't judge God as a, as a parent by, by what they get from me as a parent, because I'm an imperfect representation of that. And, uh, you know, is there anywhere when you, when you look at kind of God's parenting in scripture that you think, oh, wow, that's an area where it's calling me to level up as a parent, or there's, do you see any like gaps between how you parent or maybe how you were parented and, kind of what you see in God, any way that it forces you to rethink who God is as a parent? Yeah. I mean, I think about God, I think about that, that kind of unconditional love of a parent. So even in that parable, just that picture of the father, just waiting for the son to return and to embrace the son. And even though he's done horrible things and yeah, he's almost called the prodigal father because it feels almost wasteful, like his extravagance over the son and I think when we usually think about parenting, it's like, okay, your son would do something like that. Then there's all these consequences to that. And I think 
that's important. Kids need discipline as well. But I think there is something that challenges me and that, yeah, that my love isn't just for my kids when they do well, but it's unconditional. And so like there was a point where my daughter, she had a dance recital and she froze, like she totally froze and she did, cried and she did not dance during this recital. And she was the only little girl that wasn't dancing. But afterwards, I just told her, I just told her, sweetie, I'm so proud of you. You stayed up on the stage and I just love you as a dancer. And so I think that was me attempting to like have that unconditional love of God towards my daughter that I'm proud of her not because she did a perfect dance, but I just enjoy her because she loves dancing and even celebrate the small thing that she's on stage. And I just think God is like that, where God is that, that unconditional love of a father or that picture of that mother hen that just, I just long to be with you no matter what you've done. I have forgiveness for you. I have a second chance for you. I want to embrace you. I, I, I wonder what you think of this. I, I had a seminary professor once who used this phrase where, where he said it's, it's entirely appropriate for us to talk about the unconditional love of God. And yet there's another layer where the condition for God's love is a condition that resides in God, not in us. That God loves us not because we're lovable, but because he is loving. Do you think that that might be another lens into this? Like what it means that, that God has an unconditional love? Is it actually the only condition for God's love is his own character and nature and how he views us, that he's made a commitment, a choice according to his very nature to love us. And so nothing we do can change that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes me love God. It's that picture of covenant that he keeps his end of the covenant and our end of the covenant. Like he, in his perfection and his goodness, he's the one that, like you said, sets the condition. And because he's totally perfect and totally loving he is able to extend that fully to us. And um, yeah, I think that is one thing that just moves my heart continually is just that part of who God is. So what kind of difference does this make for someone? What kind of difference has it made for you to believe that you're a child of God? I mean, there's another scripture I wanted to share too that I think that helps kind of even fill that out. But there's one in Romans 8 verse 14. And it says, for all who are led by the spirit are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. And I just think that's important is that, um, yeah, instead of being led, if we're led by the flesh, we're not children of God, but it says, but if we're led by the spirit, we are God's children. And because of that, we no longer slaves to this old identity of sin or fear or lies that we believe about ourselves. But instead, we have the spirit of adoption. We're adopted into this new identity that we are daughters and sons of God, and now we can be rooted in that truth. And I think that's the, that's the difference I've seen continually in my life is where am I rooted? Am I rooted in lies that I've believed about myself, lies other people have said about myself, sin that I have done? Or am I rooted in this new identity that I have been adopted as a daughter of God, and that's where my roots are? And that makes all the difference in my life in terms of how I, how my, how I live my life one of the things I've realized in, in my life is I struggle with shame that comes from my childhood and different responses when I didn't do well and people would respond negatively. And so I took that in that I was bad. And so I was shame. I was, it was, it was not good. And so now in my life, there are times where I end up 
you know, if I fail or something doesn't go well, that I feel this sense of shame. And it's easy for me to be rooted in that slavery of shame. But then I feel like God's constant invitation is like, no, you're my daughter. That is the truth of who you are. And the way that makes a difference in my life, if I'm rooted in shame or any other kind of identity, it's like an astronaut in space where there's no, there's no gravity. So anything that can come by just pushes you around. If you're rooted in some other identity than any people's opinion of you, whether you did well, that it, for me, it's like, did I do well? Then I'm good. If I didn't do well, then I'm bad. Versus if my identity is rooted as a child of God, then it feels like that's unconditional. And even when I mess up, even in sin, it's like I'm still unconditionally loved in God. When I feel like that Bible study went well, or I feel like I didn't, like that doesn't change my identity. And I feel that gravity holding me into God's presence. You're free from both the burden of success and failure. I wonder, Molly, so you, you've put yourself in cross-cultural ministry situations for your whole career on staff, probably even before you came on staff, if I had to guess. It probably wasn't your first year on staff. You decided, oh, let me try this cross-cultural thing. When you enter into that cross-cultural space, it's actually a, a high risk environment. You do run the risk of making a mistake, of saying something stupid or or hurting someone's feelings. You know, and it and exposes you to the threat of a lot of shame. Would it be fair to say that this identity that I am a child of God it actually lets you take more risks? Yeah, I think so because then all of a sudden, I think if, if you're if you're not rooted to that and you're rooted to like not make a mistake or being perfect, then it's that fear of like, Oh, I better not say something wrong. I better not say something culturally insensitive, but then there might be a real question that you have that you don't even get to engage, or there might be a way there's an opportunity to love or an event to go to or something like that, an issue to advocate for. And you don't get to do that because you're just paralyzed by the sense of fear of making a mistake versus if I love my God, then there's freedom It's like, okay, God loves me perfectly, even if I make a mistake and there's grace and I can work that out in relationships. And so I can then ask that question or I can, I can take that risk and and trust like, okay, my identity is not dependent on being perfect and being culturally perfect. Yeah. Shame is the enemy of learning. It makes us feel insecure. And so it prevents us from learning anything from our success or our failures. And when God adopts us into his family, he really does remove our shame. That's a great, that's a great angle into this theology, this truth, this reality that we're children of God. Well, I, I wonder, you know, Molly, and, and you've been a leader in Lafay, you're respected by the Latino community, you're parenting Latino kids. Um, for Latinos, what are some particular ways you think this paradigm connects with or challenges Latinos? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about my ministry experience with Latino students, and at least in the urban context, something I've seen a lot as a stronghold is a stronghold of worthlessness. And a lot of Latino students that I've worked with have that sense of carrying that sense of worthlessness, or am I worth God's love? And I think that comes from varying things, but I've seen it in terms of parents sometimes tearing kids down um, and, and kind of yelling at them a lot, and that feeling of like shame and identity that's broken down there. Uh, along those lines, there's a thing that I've I've observed sometimes a broken facet and maybe even a necessary facet in Latino parenting is we try to toughen our kids up. That's that's a thing, right? Where it's, it's like it's like 
I, I find myself doing that sometimes also, where I'm like, I'm going to be a little bit tougher with him because I want him to be able to exist in the world out there. And it's not always healthy. And sometimes it does come with some spiritual baggage. That's maybe one area where a necessity in our cultural, you know, because you family of immigrants, you, you do have to be a little bit tough to make it in this world. When you come from an immigrant family, you know, we pass this on, but, but it's sometimes it's maladaptive for our kids. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I think that's like the whole paradigm in the inner city is the idea of like, you have to be strong. Otherwise you're taken advantage of. And so then, yeah, you have to teach your kids how to be strong and have that thick skin. But sometimes that, yeah, then that comes at a cost to the kid. Cause then it's like, they get reprimanded a lot. Um, they get made fun of. I think that's kind of a normal thing. We're just going to all make fun of each other and then make the kid, Oh, don't cry. Like there's a lot of that. But then I think that sense of just being a beloved son or daughter, or it's okay to have all these emotions doesn't always get um, given permission. And when it does, it's so powerful, right? I mean, they're like, like serving in Lafay, I've, I've led alongside Latino leaders who have had that kind of relationship with their parent, where their parents have just been supportive and proud and, and, and they feel the child just feels so secure and, and, you know, it, it gives them a great platform to step out into the world. So there are Latino parents who do that for their kids. It, it, uh, it's not, it's not that it's not possible. It's just that we, we so often run into the situations where that's not the case. And then they project that onto God and say, okay, so if my parents were tough on me and they were tough on me for my good, then maybe I'm going to be more connected with God as disciplinarian or God as master, as opposed to God as uh, father who, or affectionate father. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely true. It gets transferred and it's harder to connect to God in those areas. So, yeah. So I've seen that definitely be true with Latino students. I think also sometimes just growing up in poverty, when you see a lot of just it's your neighborhood, nothing looks beautiful. There's a lot of trash. I think that just affects people's sense of self-worth after a while, or um, just like, oh, I don't see a lot, a lot of people, a lot of Latinos that look like me in certain pockets of society, and then how that affects, like, oh, am I good? And so I think that is a huge stronghold that I see. Even when my husband Abner went to UCLA, he just felt like there's nobody that looks like me except for the gardeners, and do I even belong here? And just really, even though he's really smart, there's a lot of self-doubt that started to happen for him. Um, and God had to really bring that scripture, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, as a core thing for him. And he didn't believe it at first. And there was a while where he didn't believe it until there's a point he started praying for other Latino students to know God. And then he's like, well, why do you want them to know God? And he's like, because I want them to know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's like, do you believe that? And he realized, oh, I guess I do. But there was just that I think there are things in our society and in, in some of the background and whatever that worth worth that sense of worthlessness has gotten in there or stereotypes, negative stereotypes. And so I think um, this picture of a child of God is so needed. And I think that is what I see a lot of these um, Latino students as they start to experience that unconditional love from a person and then from God, the whole person starts to change the whole sense of empowerment starts to come and that sense of like god can use me in all these ways maybe i am a leader maybe i am somebody that can be used by god in this way and so that's one of my favorite things is coming along students where maybe they don't always see that about themselves initially 
But as they encounter God's love through me and through the scripture and through listening prayer and all these things, all of a sudden, then they start to believe like I am a child of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Even I'm like a Latino on purpose. And then how God uses my unique story, there's a freedom then to bring that to the world and a joy about that instead of that shame and worthlessness and kind of feeling like I never can do that. Is this, is this child of God paradigm something that you've carried your whole life? Is it something that you have engaged more intentionally with as you've entered into ministry or, or more intentionally with more recently? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always had a special connection with God and had a sense of God's presence really close since I was a little girl. But I think as I've gone through my own healing journey and recognized like what is underneath some of these things and realizing, oh, there's a lot of shame there. And then sort of giving that to God, inviting God into that, and then asking God, well, how do you see me? And then as I start to experience God showing up and giving me images of him, as a father or a mother, the hen that's loving me, like those kinds of images, all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's where I start to soak in that truth and that reality. So I think my current prayer, I think like anything, it's like the now and and not fully yet, right? Right now we are children of God, but learning how to be rooted in that and staying rooted in that, that's a journey. And so I think what I've been really praying is that God, would you take my roots out of the shame place and put them in the child of God place. Would you almost rewire me so that my base that I draw from is the unconditional love by God, child of God identity. And so I feel like that's been a process of my healing journey and something I'm still continuing. I have a friend who adopted a young woman and she used to take food from the pantry and hide it in her bedroom. Just just because she didn't feel secure and just because she didn't feel confident that, that her new dad would keep providing for her. And I think there are ways that we, that we do that, even though we're adopted into the family, we, we, we kind of smuggle granola bars and hide them under our pillow. And, you know, part of learning to trust Jesus is to trust that this spirit that's been given to us that cries out, Abba, Father, that that spirit has the right to call out, Abba, Father, and that, that God really does want us in the family and that that's something that's permanent, that he's not going to change his mind uh, you know, a couple weeks from now and kick us out. Yeah, totally. And I think it comes down to, for me, it likes the, there's different kinds of knowing. There's the knowing intellectually that's true. And then there's the knowing of learning how to soak in that truth more and more. And so for me, you know, being able to just understand that reality, looking at scriptures um, and soaking in the truth of the word, that this is who I am, identifying lies when they come. It's like, oh, I feel that shame or I feel that lie and choosing to repent. Like, no, I don't need to live and root myself in that. I can choose to root myself in the truth. And then I think even beyond that, it's like soaking in those scriptures or learning how to sit still and invite Jesus to speak to me and say, Jesus, how do you see me? And then let a word or an image come in a way that often is a parent-like image. And then I learn how to sit in that. So it's the idea of not just receiving the image, but soaking in it, sitting in it, sitting still in it for a long enough time where it starts to seep into my soul and into my whole person. And so I I really feel like it's understanding the reality and learning how to soak in it. And I think also for me, 
counseling and spiritual direction, those kind of healing journeys have been helpful to me in learning how to get the, the, the negative roots, the slavery roots out and getting the truth that, oh, this is my identity. And I'm, I'm hopeful that there will be a, a time in my life where that is more the norm than anything else. And so I feel like we're moving in that direction. And I think it's something I look forward to. And then one day to be with Jesus fully and, and just that fullness of what that looks like to be a child of God and to take that in is something I regularly think about. I, I would love it if people listening to this did exactly what you're advising and maybe even sat down with Luke 15 and that parable of the prodigal son and just spent some time just listening to it. You can go to BibleGateway.com and play the audio version of it and just listen to it. You can listen to it in English. You can listen to it in Spanish. You just, just listen to it and just soak in that story and just imagine yourself Imagine yourself as the younger son who's gone off, squandered his inheritance, has come back home, and is just asking to be the worker. Just make me like one of your hired servants, and is just welcomed by the father. And, and just imagine what it would feel like to do that. Um, there's this prayer exercise called Ignatian Meditation, uh, founded by the, the founder of the Jesuits, St. Ignatius of Loyola. And this is what he does. He encourages you to just be present to, to think, what would you, what would you be smelling? What, what, what would the ground feel like under your feet? What would you be wearing? Uh, what, what sort of emotions would you feel as the father comes running towards you? Uh, what, what sort of emotions would you feel as you start to make your speech to, to, to try to get ahead of his anger, which you think might be coming your way? And then what would happen inside you when he wraps his arm around you and calls out for the ring and the robe and the sandals and just welcomes you into the feast? Um, I'd encourage you to take some time to meditate on that, to reflect on that, to do what Molly recommends and to find a spiritual director or a counselor to really help you work through this sort of process, this journey. I think it can make a big difference for you. Now, Molly, you, I mentioned earlier that you have done some work around community college ministry and burnout. And, you know, as we start to come to a close to the interview, would love for you to share a little bit about how this paradigm, the child of God paradigm, could help someone who's maybe ministering in a more challenging context. Maybe you're ministering at a community college, an HSI, maybe you're ministering in a place where, where you're an ethnic minority and you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed or outnumbered, maybe you're in a planting situation. Like what are some ways that this paradigm could help someone who's ministering in a more challenging situation? From a community college perspective, and I think it applies to all kind of challenging perspectives. uh, We always would joke like one plus one doesn't always equal two. So you can do all the right things in ministry in terms of strategic things and, and work hard and follow up and everything. And you might not get the results that other campuses might, you know, get. And so that feeling, I think what ends up happening is for a staff, they end up taking that in as they did something wrong. Like I must not be a good staff worker and really feeling a lot of like a sense of lameness about that. And that's a huge factor for staff and burnout. And I think that's huge in any context where maybe you don't see the immediate fruit. I think in our United States context, we're used to like doing things and they work. And a lot of overseas mission stuff, like you don't always get to see that fruit right away. Sometimes it's long, long, long. 
And learning how to be able to not determine your worth based on that fruit, I think, is really critical. So I remember at points we would, you know, students would come or not come, and then it feel like if there's large numbers that day, I feel good. If nobody comes or very few, I feel fearful. And underneath that fear is really shame because I feel like, oh, I'm not good at this. And so that's a roller coaster. That's an exhausting thing to go through. And so the more you're able to be able to reroot it, I'm a child of God. I am so loved by God. And then the paradigm becomes faithfulness. I will be faithful to love and to serve and to do the tasks and a follow-up. And then I'm going to trust God with what happens. And then I'm going to be able to rejoice in what God does do. Because sometimes when you're so stuck in that performance, if you can't even see the beautiful thing God does anymore, because you're just feeling so stuck in that feeling of shame versus if I feel connected to God and his love, then I'm able to rejoice in what does happen and able to come back to the Lord and like, okay, nobody came today, but I, I thank you that I, I'm loved by you. I'm thankful that I get to be like you and be a shepherd that goes after the sheep. What an honor and privilege. And so, yeah, that our identity would be more rooted in that so that we can weather the ups and downs that are inevitable in planting or challenging context and not, not see those things as a, a um, determination of our worth. Yeah. Yeah, our, our worth is not dependent on our performance. And in, in fact, if you see yourself as a child of God and you think about what what does God think of this experience for me? Maybe God is just glad that you're learning and growing and getting up on stage and staying on stage even though you didn't dance. You know, like like maybe God is just so incredibly proud of us for what we have done. And for who we are. And, uh, you know, I remember when I was an area director, I had this weird little thought pop into my head where I I felt a little bit like I was a parent, like like a parent for some of my chapters that didn't have staff. And remember being frustrated that things weren't growing fast or or going the way I I thought. And uh, I remember this thing that, uh, that Jen Ball taught me, Uh, you know, Jen, Jen was our friend, passed away recently. And, uh, and she said that when you become a parent, you discover how, how little control you have. And, uh, and there is something about, you know, if you view your students, so if you're a student, you, maybe you view your friends who you're ministering to. If you're on faculty, you, you view the, the faculty people that you're ministering to. If you're on staff, you're a pastor, you're a volunteer, you view the, the people that you're, that you're hoping to, to take a next step in their relationship with God and you view them as, as God's children, you know, maybe you could see like, I have much less control than I thought. And that's okay. That's part of being a parent. And, uh, you know, as we parent alongside God and receive his parenting on campus, there is something very real about seeing how little control that we have. Um, this is great, Molly. Yeah. And I think even I've seen recently just, um, the more I'm able to be connected to that reality that um, I am loved by God and I don't have control. It actually allows me to be more like God and that unconditional love of God to people. Cause I'm not so like, Oh my gosh, how does that student fit into my growth of ministry here versus the other day I met a student who is about to transfer out of ELAC three years. And I just was like, Oh my gosh, way to go. That's pretty quick for a community college. So I was asking him, what did he learn or what enabled it? 
And, you know, then we talked about God and his picture of God, but I was also just able to encourage him and who he was, talk about strengths finders and that being a great tool for him as he's thinking about growing and, and just encourage him and who he was. So I was able to see him more and enjoy and engage him versus just only, do you want to come to my Bible study? And, oh, you're about to transfer. So that just doesn't work very well with what I'm trying to do and all that. So I felt like I was more able to enjoy him and be like that kind of love of God to him. You don't need him to prop you up. You're secure. You're stable. You're steady. Like you're taken care of. You don't need anything from him. So you have stuff to give to him. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Molly, this has been so incredibly helpful Thank you so much for jumping in here and sharing your wisdom and your insight, taking the time to do this. If people wanted to connect with you to, to follow up or to send you like a digital high five to let you know that, that you changed their life, uh, what's a good way for people to connect with you? You know, I'm not the best at social media, so email is probably the best. So you can email me at molly.ramos at intervarsity.org. Okay. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, and just out of curiosity, this the paper that you wrote on community colleges, is that something that people could have access to? Definitely. Yeah, that's something that I can email them. If they email me, then I can email you that right away. So yeah, please hit me up, molly.ramos at university.org. Okay, awesome. That paper was really helpful for me when I was working at community colleges. I know it's been circulating around InterVarsity for years and years. And I know you've done a lot of other things. So I don't, I don't want you to be pigeonholed as the person who wrote the paper, but, um, but it's a great resource. And um, Molly, I'm grateful that you're part of LaFay, that you're a leader in LaFay. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Um, if you have enjoyed this conversation with Molly, send her an email and let her know and subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to Con Confianza so you can catch our other episodes. We're releasing several more episodes on these beloved paradigms, including a testimony of someone who's encountering this concept for the first time and a Q and a with Natalia Con Rivera, who's helped a lot of us on our journey to see ourselves as someone who, who is deeply loved by God. So subscribe to Con Confianza. We would love to share these resources with you. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.